1: You can't stop me Nothing's gonna stand in my way Nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm gonna fly higher.
2: I'm gonna fly higher. Higher. Welcome to the Hustle Unlimited podcast with serial entrepreneur Donald Thompson. You are listening to episode 9 of season 2. Today we talked to a guy who worked at Goldman Sachs, wrote for Sports Illustrated, was involved with one of the most high-profile trials of the 2000s, wrote sitcoms in L.A., co founder of a technology startup in Chicago and is now the person startups in the triangle want to talk to when they're looking for a little publicity. I'm Jason Gilligan, producer of Hustle Unlimited and CEO of the EarFluence Podcast Network. And on today's show, Pete McIntaggart, managing editor of grepbeat.com, has had quite the windy career path, starting out as a financial analyst at Goldman Sachs, then going back to college, then writing at Sports Illustrated, During his time there, he was rudely interrupted by a six-month trial of the Tyco CEO and CFO, where he was on the jury. They were accused of embezzling millions from the company, and he wrote all about it for Time magazine. He then went to L.A. to be a film and sitcom writer, and then to Chicago, where he co-founded a company called Tour, which is kind of like a Netflix algorithm that tells you what shows and movies you should be watching. That ended up not working out, and so in July of 2018, he started working for Bronto founder Joe Colopy's passion project, grepbeat.com which is an online publication that supports the tech startups in the triangle. So on the show today, Pete talks about lessons learned in his windy path, what he sees from successful entrepreneurs and what's different about the triangle startup ecosystem. Such an interesting guy and the only one of our guests so far who has a Wikipedia page, but don't forget, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen. That way, when we have new episodes with the hustlers of the world who are making their communities a better place, you'll be the first to know. So let's get started. Here's Walk West CEO, investor, speaker, mentor, advisor, and all-around hustler himself, host of the Hustle Unlimited podcast, Donald Thompson.
3: All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Hustle Unlimited. I'm your host, Donald Thompson, and I got a good friend of mine, Pete McIntaggart. Pete, tell me a little bit about Grep Beat. Help our audience understand kind of what you're doing today what grep beat is what the name means and let's talk about kind of your view on working with and writing about entrepreneurs
1: right so grep is a linux command meaning uh sort of parse data for key terms key phrases our conceit being we sit through the news and just bring you the relevant and interesting parts and uh joe called the obvious his background is in tech and you know he's programmer as well that was his idea he actually wanted to call it the grep but he couldn't get the uh, domain and so uh grep beat it is actually when i first sat down and uh when we got together when it was clear that we were both serious about whether this might happen So all right question number one how wet are you to the name and the answer was fairly wet so i was like all right let's move on to (laughs) how much you want to pay me um so it's like i'm not gonna die on that hill but yeah, so that's, that's where the name is from. And so it does have a tech focus. So we don't cover life sciences. It's definitely on the tech software enabled in broad yeah. uh, terms, or really in practice, it ends up being kind of anything, not life sciences or biotech. Like what is, you know, MADI energy? That's not really a tech. Company, but like but it's tech star- people drink it, right? Yeah, it's a tech startup. People drink here. It. It's a startup. Right. Like, and like, yeah. so it's, you know, the startup community. Okay. You know, it's it's, it's very much Joe's vision. I'm the exit event for my time, but you're probably familiar mm-hmm. w- with that site. And uh, that went away, I guess, uh, October of 2017, around that period. And so that's when Joe felt that there was a, a space and kind of a need for something to step in. And try to tell the stories of especially early stage tech startups and trying to, with other people, try to lift this startup ecosystem.
3: Yep, in this area. When you think about the folks that you're covering, what are some of the more interesting companies our listeners might not have heard of that you think are doing great, that are doing interesting stuff that you've had fun covering?
1: Right. Well, of course, they should go to grepbeat.com. There you go. uh, And check it out. But, um, you know, I was trying to think about this a little bit on on the way over and one is the really early like startups from students or people right out of school I'd say two two of our three most read stories are startups like students or ones who are just graduating they must have huge social media followings and one that was a woman who makes sudsy kind of dehydrated Shampoo, particularly when you travel, so like shampoo and soap, yep. that's sort of an old dehydrated ball. So it's not a problem that I have. Often I don't travel a lot of shampoo, but apparently it's a common a problem that some people have where their shampoo will kind of busts in their in their in their luggage. Yep. And uh, another company that's smart parking, essentially yeah. uh, Vade Park, but that guy was a UNC student. I think he was like a junior. He already has a company that's like a ten million dollar revenue company in. Sort of India and the U.S. Um, wow, that like so this is like his second thing. It's like what is this guy? So why is he going to score? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, I just you know, to pay the bills. Okay? Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. But uh, once that once that degree, so so young people that are really killing it. So I definitely like writing about the the real recent grads or even students. It's to me, it's amazing what some of them are doing. Um, and then on the other hand, you have. Kind of the serial entrepreneurs, yep. uh, the Scott Wingo's, uh, the Jess Lipson's. He was one of the first stories yeah, yeah, the uh, I wrote. The story, yep. Right. Sharefile is no, um, real magic. Levitate, Levitate right is the product, yeah. And they just they just raise money, Series A. Well, I came here without something. I was looking for something new. And I was hoping to stay and ideally plan A would be somewhere in the startup ecosystem, whether... At a startup or at a VC. I mean, I didn't know there was only like three VCs, but we're all two man shops. They yeah, really like yeah. third or just somewhere in that world. And so I was basically just networking with everyone and just people were very friendly and you know, open and willing to meet with you. I felt that very quickly I, I knew more people than I did in my entire time in Chicago. In part, cause when I got to Chicago, I was already super head down yep. on a startup and like, I'm not. You know, networking. Like, unless I think it's gonna be you know a potential investor. Like, I don't have time right. for for anything to meet anyone, talk to anyone. But for two months, when you're like, all you're doing is having coffee with people, you can meet a lot of people. And then I was fortunate. Then I got this thing where now those are the people that I need to talk to. And That's unfortunately, right. I already knew some of them. And I definitely give where I feel. You know, the people who were nice to me when I, <laughs> when I was nobody, uh, and <laughs> didn't have any platform that could potentially help them and was just, they were purely helping me. That's awesome. Um, is, uh, I, I definitely try and, uh, call them out. Tim McLaughlin who was yep. one of those people. So I always give him some, some love in, awesome. in the newsletter. But yeah, I, I have found that the ecosystem here, people are very willing to help. And that's one of the biggest assets. Of this community.
3: And I, I believe the same thing. When Tim was here and talking with us from the kind of the voice of a VC, uh, one of the things he talked about in the RTP ecosystem is that openness, that friendliness, and that somebody else winning doesn't mean you lose, right? right? If we all win and create a great ecosystem, it's better for everybody involved. Right. And, and I definitely uh, share that. I'm going to rewind a little sure. bit because um, I missed something that I think is super interesting in my notes. You were on like for six months a jury Ugh, with Tyco, yes. like a big case. Like, can you give Tyco one? Because
1: back- there was a sequel. Okay, I was, I was not in the sequel. <laughs>
3: can you give a little background there? Because that, that's like super interesting. Yeah,
1: that would be a po- several podcasts on its own, sort of a, a web ser- uh, <laughs> series. Um, what, are the, what is what is some word So yeah, I just showed up at jury duty and I get put on a case that lasted six months. So Tyco was, still is actually, a uh, conglomerate in the sense that it owned a bunch of very different businesses that didn't really fit together. I mean, one, ADT, something people, uh, the home security system is one of them. Tyco is like, sort of like fire sprinklers. and So they had a bunch of different businesses that didn't really, uh, but but they were very acquisitive and they grew really fast in sort of the late 1990s. And then the CEO and CFO got charged with essentially embezzling a lot of money yeah. from the company. And so that was the trial I was on, uh, the two of them. And they told us it might last like two and a half, three months. And I was like, that seemed like the longest thing anyone could imagine. And it lasted six months. And it ended in a mistrial. So we we oh deliberated God. for 11 days, 11 or 12. So on the 12th day, they just when we were about to, to get a verdict, they stopped us because one of the jurors had gotten like a threatening letter. You'll have to, if anyone does care, they'll see what I wrote for time on the, the night of the mistrial. But there was a woman who was kind of, uh, she was like a 79-year-old woman. She had been a lawyer, like a teacher, then a lawyer. And she was, at least early on, sort of holding out for the defense. And then we sort of broke down in the middle, and then we kind of broke her. But... When we thought there might have been a mistrial, people in the the media, in the audience said that they thought she made an okay sign to the defense. So then, like, she got named publicly. And then even though we sort of got things sort of back on the rails so the next week, she got this letter or letters and a call. And so they, they had called a mistrial. It was not a hung jury, which I'm very adamant about because <laughs> we would have gotten a verdict. But uh, so they retried them and uh, they were convicted on uh, maybe like twenty one and twenty two counts I was actually f- sort of i don't know say involved in the i mean it was a very intense experience, and th- the fact that we didn't have a tr- a verdict at the end, I was pretty upset and uh well, you, know, you were we a d-
3: part of the fabric of it i mean you right, and then A big part right of my right life and it was a big time.
1: blaze of publicity you know we were we were for a couple of days. A big story. I mean, I did like nine TV shows on one day. I did today and Good Morning America the That's same morning. Wild. Um, by the end of the week, they were sort of tired of us when they realized that we didn't resolve anything. But I mean, so after the trial ends, the fact that there would be a retrial, both sides tried to talk to you, and the defense lawyers. I was like, I respect you have a job to do, but I read what I wrote on time. They did it, all right. I mean, <laughs> fundamentally, so I'm not not helping you out. And then the DAs, I was like, I came, I brought it at lunch. It's like, I'll be here as long as you want. Yeah, was <laughs> there for like eight hours during the uh, retrial. When the CFO testified again, the CEO, because did not testify in our case. He did testify the second time. Um, but anyway, they sent me, said, Hey, would you take a look? If we send you a disc of what the CFO said this time compared to what he said last time, tell us what you think. It's like, what do you think? I've been waiting for us. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Stayed so. up all night. You know, hey, you should do this. You should do that. I don't think they, it, it was a big embarrassment publicly to their office that they didn't win the first time because in the media, it seemed like. So slam dunk. Yeah, slam dunk. You know, things are not that clear in there for various reasons. And they had brought in someone new to kind of lead it. And I don't think he wanted anything to do with, you know, the first. Jury that they probably thought dropped the ball, though we did not. Um, Anyway, so yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It gets me very worked out. What uh,
3: what what learning of anything that was super positive that it brings you to current day? Like sometimes we have experiences that are standalone.
1: Right. I would say right in the very immediate aftermath, I felt like sort of dismayed about the jury system. Because this was a case where you had – I mean, there were two defendants, so they could each have sets of lawyers um, and sort of a tag team, and they were very expensive. Their lawyers were, on the whole, better than the DAs. I mean, the DAs had some tons yeah. of lawyers, but, like, they were big money pe- – and, and they just – you could tell that they had an incentive to just confuse things. Because if you're just kind of like, I don't know what the heck's going on. I can't send people to prison if I don't know which way is up. And some to Chaos me was like, I, I felt some of the things I could see that they were just deliberately making it confusing and seeing that it was working on a lot of the people in jury. But I will say after I did a lot of reading on jury systems, in part, I was trying to sell a book. And then I felt a lot better because I do feel we did get there as a jury, as kind of difficult as it was, that without sort of the outside thing, that is much you know issues as we had that we we did get there. Gotcha. We were getting there, and because we did ultimately listen to each other, sort of. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, no, I get it. So let me let me ask this, and I know I'm going a, a winding, yeah. but now you've had all these various experiences. You were a part of a startup. What are some of the things that you've learned and seen that are consistent threads of the successful people that you talk to? both in sports and tech and different things. What are some of those consistent hmm. things that, you know, the language of winners or the behaviors of the successful right. that you've seen?
1: Well, let me take this a few different ways. One thing I sort of felt is that if I was ever going to do a tech startup again, I would not do it without a technical co-founder. Because I'm not a technical person, and I just think you need to have – if that's not your skill set, you need a founder who, who is that person. Because it's just – it didn't really work with us if if there's not someone who's all in. If you're paying someone essentially to do the tech, then you know if you're moving faster, it's by definition you're burning more. Like you need someone who's completely committed in the way that only a founder can be, who can do that. Who, you know who they can work a million hours for maybe nothing for a while. So that would be one thing. And uh, you know at the time. Some investor to be like, well, we, you know, the fact that, because there are two of us, we were not, neither of us were technical people um, and we're sort of finance, and I was kind of finance and creative, but I remember one investor being, well, uh, you know, if there's not a technical co-founder, I don't invest in that. I was like, well, that doesn't seem right. I was like, you know, I think <laughs> like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Like that's what I would do if I was investing money. And that's what I would recommend to people if Got they it. were going to start a setup. Um, sort of a general through line of successful people. Some of it is just, I guess, work ethic. I mean, that's something you see with everyone, with with athletes. I mean, even the ones who are like, well, they're just really physically talented. Pro athletes, I mean, everyone's real talented. So, like, what are the differences between the real, the real top ones? And almost always, it turns out, they're also the hardest workers. They're the ones who study the most, you who know, kind of get serious about in their case taking care of their body but actually that's important for everyone yeah probably can't all get 12 hours of sleep like tom brady does but uh and his you know sleep lair or whatever he has, he actually now has all <laughs> like these, a sleep, like, sleep product yeah, 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 no, yeah but that's for him to compete in that sport at 40 that's sort of what he needs to do but yeah work ethic and just kind of not Stopping, probably being able to break things down into smaller chunks, so you sort of keep moving forward. One thing I have noticed about founders, in, in talking to a lot of successful founders, is that it seems like there's sort of two kinds, in the sense that there's one group that, and uh, and Joe falls into this, and other people I've heard who sort of say some version of, you know, I always knew I wanted to run my own business, I just kind of didn't know what it would be. And so those are people that wanted to run their own thing and were sort of looking for the right idea. And then others who, and I think I've fallen this camp, like, unless it's more like find something I'm really passionate about. And then maybe like, well, I think I'm also the best person to run this. You know, it's like I never would have started that business or I, I would never have started an email marketing business, for right. example. And obviously, Bronto was very successful and there's, you know, MailChimp and, sure. and lots of others. And, but like, I was not. I'm not passionate about email marketing. That might be a means to an end. But for me, and I think for, you know, another subset of founders, it's like, what am I really passionate about? And like, can I make that into a business? Got it. Um, as opposed to, I know I want to run something out and let's find what I can do or let's find what the market wants. You know, let customers tell me what to do it's like well I don't want customers to t- I mean once you start something well then yeah, yeah the thing right the right. thing you were but passionate you about like idea. yeah Some people do yeah. right or like at the start like I'm really interested in this and if the, and if the market tells me they want something slightly different that's fine you know that gotcha. then you got to respond then you have a business but if it isn't in a field and that was for me when I was at Goldman I'm still following sports all the time and I'm watching TV and, and movies because I'm yes. those are passion you know i will be at, in the office we get in. And they're like, hey, did you see the game last night? And you got in a great conversation, sports conversation, and be like, all right, let's get back to work. It's like, I, I just got excited about this conversation. Like, why can't that be work? Got it. You know, that was one when I was at Sports Illustrated. One great thing about it was we had TVs on our desks. If someone walked by and you're watching sports, you didn't have to be like, oh, you no, know, I like, <laughs> pretend you're not watching sports. Even if, frankly, it wasn't what you were supposed to be doing. If you were supposed to be, you know, writing some other story or do something else and you're just watching it, to That's watch awesome. it, you could be like, hey, we're watching sports, we're all into sports. So, you know, when I was at Sports Illustrated, I wasn't following oil and gas companies anymore, you Got know, it. what I did at Goldman. That's right. But, like, so, like, <laughs> what are you passionate about sports and about entertainment? And so, those, those are things I would do any- anyway. I would not follow finance life and death. Right. Without making or a lot really, of money. Really, I wouldn't. Yeah, I yeah. may not follow, I'm not sure whether now, whether I'd be following startups all the time if I wasn't doing this. But now I've been in that world. For About eight years, so I'm not sure how inherently interested I am. I'd be interested in, in certain people sure. and lessons to learn. I definitely like reading leadership type books,
3: yes. Yeah, and I appreciate both the openness and the path because it's just really interesting the way you've got. If you can to this show point. me a through line, like, yeah, like, be, I, okay. like it's it's an interesting tell my mom because she's not sure, yeah, she's very
1: concerned. <laughs> well, she's happy I'm here though. If you had
3: a magic wand, and let's look at our macro environment as a country, if you had a magic wand. What would you change?
1: Uh, the, the country, I'm not honing it political. But, uh, that's difficult, uh, polarizing in this era, obviously, but hmm. But if I'm waving a magic wand, uh, it's not polarizing. You got the right, wand. right. Yeah, sure, <laughs> right. That's true. Um, well, I guess yeah, I prefer things to be less. Pro- I mean, yes, I prefer there be a different president in, in 2020. I'll, t- I'll just th- throw that out there. But Some of it is, you know, we talked a little, uh, well, you mentioned before uh, Tim McLaughlin saying, you know, in this area, just because someone wins, that doesn't mean someone else loses, that this isn't zero-sum. I feel like things have become, this country, very zero-sum. I mean, I think the person in the White House, now that's literally his world view. That's why his view on trade is, you know, it's, it's not, if we have imports, it's because you know, they're taking from us. It's like, well, or there's, you know, immigrants. Well, if they're coming and getting something, that must be taking away from us. There's no concept of like, well, they, that could be growing the pie. And so maybe your percentage is smaller. Got it. But I mean that's something that I think in startups, you do sort of learn or, I don't know, from, from watching Shark Tank. It's sort of like, it's like, well, do you want to give up, you know, bring in this investment? You're going to have less equity. You have to give up something. But are these people that can help you grow the pie and so that your percentage might be a little smaller but there's going to be more for everyone. But the value and, is high. right, the value is going to be increased and just, you know, as a community, I feel like this is a community the startup ecosystem in particular where people are trying to help because it is true that I think people feel that a rising tide will lift all boats. If there's, you know, the more capital there is locally, well that's good for the people here, but that also means if that there's a big exits locally, if that money flows to some of the local capital investors, well yep. then they can return to their LPs and then they can raise a bigger fund. Having a unicorn or, or two here, you know, if Pendo has an IPO or you know Red Hat gets sold, well then people will have money right, um, them and them they up. can they're invest here locally, and that will be good for everyone. If sort of nationally there's less of a sense of national community that maybe there has been at some points, not this like, oh, things were always so great before, now they're terrible, but just it'd be great if there was more of a sense of community as a nation and the way that even the startup ecosystem could be sort of a guide for that. That someone getting something, that it's not zero sum, that we can grow the pie, that anyone gaining is not at your expense, but that by bringing new people in and helping lift them up, that it kind of lifts us all up.
3: I mean, I think that's a powerful way to end the episode because I think the startup ecosystem can be a guide to a better type of behavior. And that mindset is not really political. It's just a different point of view that if we create more value, everybody can win. And I really like that as kind of a culmination of our discussion because that's a, that's a point of view that is openness and supporting Right. And the more that we all can drive that, the more that it becomes the status quo versus the verbal food fights of our day. Right. And so, you know, we're all looking for more partners that kind of believe that same thing. And then we can kind of rise up behind the scenes, even if that's not what's being covered. And that's what we every night on the news.
1: I mean, you know, we're a journalistic entity, but we're not. We're not trying to blow the lid off, you know, the latest scandal right. in the startup. <laughs> I mean, I and don't tell my professors at Columbia this because they would not agree with anything I'm about to say. But I think we've, you know, not necessarily boosterish, but we are trying to actively help this community, the startup community. That's Joe's vision, that's awesome. and that's what we try to do. You know, we're trying to tell the stories of the early stage startups and try to get them out there, help them, because that's good for everyone.
3: That's awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much. And, Pete, we are glad that you spent time with us. Uh, continued success with Gretbeat. And uh, we hope you'll be a friend of the show, and then we'll stay in touch Great. with all the different things we're doing. And so thanks so much for hanging out with us.
1: Yeah, sure. Never again, my newsletter. It's, uh, it's wildly entertaining, I'm told.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was Pete McIntaggart from Gretbeat.com you can subscribe to his twice a week newsletter at well grepbeat.com. follow along on twitter at grepbeat and in the show notes we'll link the article that pete wrote for time magazine about the Tycho case which is called one angry man thanks pete for coming on the show and supporting the local startup community it's so true like he said that a rising tide lifts all boats and we're seeing that so much in this area this episode was edited and produced by me jason gillican for earfluence for more on the earfluence podcast network Visit EarFluence.com or check us out on social media or at EarFluence Media. Intro and outro music for this episode is You Can't Stop Me from Jensen Reed. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on Hustle Unlimited.